Hi, this is Sean. Uh, before we get into the episode proper, I need to make a quick disclaimer on behalf of Jordan and I. When we recorded this episode, it was late April 2022. In it, you are going to hear us discuss a few different issues that people on the left side and the right side of the political aisle disagree about. One of those hypotheticals was about pro-choice versus uh, pro-life, the abortion debate, the abortion conversation. When we recorded this, uh, obviously that's always been uh, kind of a hot button uh, issue, and that's why we used it as a hypothetical. But subsequently, and actually about a week before this was meant to come out, the Roe v. Wade um, decision was overturned by the Supreme Court and, and listed, um, you know, the right to abortion was listed as not protected by the U.S. Constitution. Now that uh, women's rights and abortion has become, again, a very public and very platformed and very emotional conversation on the international level, we wanted to say very clearly that we believe that the biblical position is that life begins at conception. And so both Jordan and I would call ourselves pro-life and pro-women at the same time. You might hear some ambiguity in what we say in the episode, so we wanted to be crystal clear at the beginning as you listen as to where we stand. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser-known works. Join us this season as we are exploring essays from Lewis that we think speak to our world today. I just noticed that this essay is titled Meditation on the Third Commandment. Do you have a quick guess as to why that is? And do you know what the third commandment is off the top of your head? Uh, When I was about eight or nine years old, I stayed with um, some family friends who also happen to be pastors. And they had this this like little pictogram thing up on their wall, and it has it has locked in the Ten Commandments into my mind. So I will say that I believe that the third commandment is about not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Very good. Good. Oh, past can keep my position at the Bible College. Yeah, that would have been terrible <laughs> if you got fired because you didn't know the third commandment. <laughs> but do you have any ideas off the top of your head as to why? So. Yeah, without having actually researched this, I, I asked myself that same question after I read the the essay, and my assumption would be that um, w- that he would consider it taking the Lord's name in vain when we ascribe his name to a particular political party or agenda when he has not in fact spoken it. He he talks about saying, you know, when we when we say, "Thus saith the Lord." when he actually hasn't spoken, we are immediately on extremely shaky ground, to say the least. And so that would be my, my uh, opinion. What about you? Do you, think, do you think that's right? I think that's a better explanation than I could have given. So I, yeah, I think we'll go with that. I recommended that we add this essay into our first season uh, after we had already kind of planned out which essays we were going to do. But I came across it, and it seemed to me to be really timely. And that's kind of the aim of this first season is a bunch of essays that seem to really hit the nail on the head uh, regarding everything that's going on in our larger world today. I mean, we're coming out of COVID, there's a war going on, there's a ton of political upheaval, 
Um, and spoiler alert for uh, probably the end of this season, we're going to talk about space exploration because that's a random thing that's going on in at least pop culture and technology. <laughs> um, maybe less uh, dire, but uh, I thought it'd be fun anyway. But Sean, can you see now that you've read this one, why I thought it would be timely or am I out to lunch? No, you are. Uh, well, and I should say like, you know, Jordan and I don't live in, you know, we don't live in the same town. No, not even the same province. Not even in the same province. That's right. And in fact, if we are more than a country's width apart from each other, many countries in the world would, would fit in the amount of kilometers there are between us. 429. Oh. I've done this trip a number of times. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I'm so impressed that you just had that queued up and ready mm-hmm. to go. Um uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. We don't get a lot of time to to talk outside of uh, recording and, and outside of just uh, short conversations regarding the podcast. But this has been this has been something that, if I'm really honest, has troubled my soul deeply over the last number of years. And and my mm. the way that I approach Christianity and politics has been deeply cover, colored by my time overseas, living in Turkey. And, and by my relationships with, uh, with people of other countries and, and the observation from afar of what happens in North America. And I say North America because when I think about Christianity and politics, I think especially of, of uh, you know, the U.S. And, and the way that Christianity and, and evangelicalism, evangelicalism has become a political term, which doesn't even make sense to me yeah. as somebody who has some theological and biblical education. But it's the truth. And so I, I think that as that becomes more and more a reality, and as Canada and other countries, uh, Christians rather, in Canada and other countries, fall more and more under the sway of the influence of American you know, Christian, whether it's real Christian or not, Christian politics, I think it's an extremely timely essay. Is that, yeah, and again, does, is that where you found your motivation? Because I, I certainly feel like, uh, I certainly feel like it's timely. Yeah, it just seems like there's just so much political. I mean, polarization is a buzzword right now because of politics. And that's not something that Christians are immune from. In fact, I think a lot of what's driving the polarization are Christians who are, I don't know what the right word is, maybe convoluting or... There's a ton of crossover between Christians' theological and political beliefs uh-huh. that I don't know if it should be there. Or maybe, let's put it this way, Christians, a, a lot of Christians seem to be supporting their political views with their Christianity and this is Christians on all sides, yeah. which is the confusing part. And the, I mean, you've already brought it up, but what Lewis um, is, is pushing back against here in this essay is that Christians would take the Lord's name and put it on a political party as if um, this party is the Christian one or the one that Christians should vote for or be a part of or support wholeheartedly and that there couldn't be anything Christian to the other parties. 
That's right. And and I think that's where Lewis is, is writing from a time, he says in, in the first couple of uh, sentences here, that uh, based on on the, you know, letters to editors, etc., that were appearing in print, he especially mentions The Guardian, a newspaper in the UK, um, uh, an Anglican newspaper specifically, that there is a there was a growing des- quote a growing desire for a Christian party, a Christian front, or a Christian platform in politics end quote. And I would say that that's very true today. And I don't know if this is my personality more so uh, or a generational thing. I know that um, that there's been there's been lots published about how uh, Gen Z and millennials I fall into the latter category tend to be a little bit more uh, skeptical and of of politicians and the political process uh, you know of course there's exceptions to that rule so my my natural inclination would be to say i don't want to talk about this at all because i'm so frustrated by it because it's such a flashpoint you know i just got back from a conference uh, a denominational conference and i can't tell you how many times from the stage there was uh soft peddling statements because of the fear that there would be political implications for what's being said sure nobody is standing up and saying anything specifically about a particular political party or about politics even but just because so much of what our our social and political dialogue has become is suddenly tied in with politics that we're listening to the language that that uh, the person across from us is using in order to try and dissect what political camp they may or may not um belong to and then accept what they're saying based on that right and and you you brought up this quote. Uh, it's from membership. Uh, the essay called membership yeah. that says uh, C.S. Lewis said a sick society must think about politics as a sick man must think about his digestion. To ignore the subject may be fatal cowardice, and I am I am guilty of that of wanting to embrace that fatal cowardice. Um, but I think he's right. At like a like a sick person, we need to pay attention to what's going on in the political sphere as Christians, what's going on in the Christian political dialogue. So that's about, that's about membership. Uh, and, and this is the, why we need to talk about it. Uh, this is a, this is a compact essay meditation on the third commandment. Uh, Jordan, what is, how does CS Lewis open the conversation um, and, and discuss, how does he discuss the, the Christian role in politics? Well, he begins by pointing out something that, I think we, well, as someone who, like you, uh, like you, Sean, I don't pay attention to politics uh, <laughs> too much because it, it frustrates me, like you said, but I see it's important. He points something out that I, as someone <laughs> admittedly who doesn't think about politics, has not thought about before, which is what is the role of politics or what should be the the use of them and what's what, maybe what's the extent of politics uh-huh. and where does politics not need to go or shouldn't go. Uh-huh. And so he just says that basically a political party, um, all political parties should have a lot of agreement on what ends are lawful and good. Right. So, um, the thing that political parties should be disagreeing on and arguing about and what should distinguish one party from the other is what he calls the championship of means. So we all agree that the ends um, of 
like social security uh, or national security of health for people in a nation and the economic prosperity of a nation. All those things are desirable. Those are the ends that, that are desirable. What the political parties disagree on is the means which we get there. Right. And we should, we should generally disagree or, or so agree to a very large degree on what is not lawful means of getting there. So what's, what are the paths that no humans should be taking to economic prosperity to getting rich? We shouldn't be murdering each other just to get rich. Yep. You know, we, there's a general, there's agreement on that stuff, but on the finer points of how do we have a prosperous country, that's what um, different political parties are disagreeing on. Do I have that right? Yeah, he he certainly makes that argument uh, in the opening paragraphs of the, of the essay. And I, I would say right away as I was reading that, I could feel the objection, you know, as I'm imagining having this conversation with people who represent different ends of the political spectrum who are Christians in my life, family members and friends, and on both sides saying, actually, we want different ends. But I think it's really easy to confuse the goals or the ends of a political party or a group of people with their means. Mm -hmm. Because on on one side, you may say, uh, you know, again, uh, that, that capital material success is the way that we provide for people so that they improve their education so that they improve their family life so that they improve and and you know and 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 then others would say oh no, no no instead you know it's it's social programming whatever and so broadly speaking you have left and right i i think that though we we all want to thrive we all want to to be better than we were yesterday i think right or left that's that's kind of true even even if we define that better differently you have one person who's more of a hedonist who just says, I want, I want pleasure at all costs. And again, that's a C.S. Lewis theme that we've discussed. Yeah. And then you have uh, people who are saying, or a little bit more altruistic, who are saying like, we want others to thrive as much as we do, and we can't at that cost. And so again, it all comes back to means. It all comes back to means. So I think that that's totally fair. Um, I think that we don't, because Christianity has a totally different narrative, uh, and, and set of values than the rest of the world does, even other major world religions, which I know is is not something that everybody agrees on, but that we, we are looking for different ends. We want the kingdom of God to come in this world. Yeah. That's really our ends. We want the name of, you know, as we pray, hopefully regularly, if not every day, um, our Father in heaven, uh, may your name be glorified. We want that to be, that's an important end for us from which other good ends flow. So there is some disagreement, uh, maybe, I think, and, and maybe it's worth discussing, uh, you know, how we, how we might disagree on what ends are good. But I think more so, it's important to look at the person across from the political aisle from you as somebody who just has a different idea of getting to the place where you want to get. I think that's a helpful contribution by Lewis. Yeah. So I guess, the like you said, the person on the, opposite side of the political aisle um they they're trying to voice a different path to getting to the same destination is that accurate that's right okay for the most part i think yeah what while cat my caveat being you know we do have different ends but but broadly speaking in the social or political world um 
you you would have to be a real fringe political thinker uh and and really belonging to what might even be called a domestic terrorist group to say mm-hmm. to say that we we don't we don't believe in in freedom for everybody we don't believe in uh we we don't believe in the thriving of all children you know children of certain classes mm-hmm. or races or or whatever mm-hmm. shouldn't thrive like nobody's saying that yeah i guess then not nobody few people are saying that <laughs> yeah I guess the then it is the the differences in the political parties are not you know should all people be free but um, to what degree do you get to be free that infringes on my freedom yes and you know that's a that's kind of the question of modern Western politics as as I understand it and so the different parties then their difference according to Lewis is they disagree on the means of how we attain that freedom or maybe the matter, the, yeah, a matter of degree, how much freedom, um, versus when it infringes on my freedom. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me read this quote cause I like it. Um, and it kind of summarizes what we've just trying to, what we've been trying to explain, but maybe just reading him would, um, explain it better than we can. He says, we do not dispute whether the citizens are to be made happy But whether an egalitarian or a hierarchical state, whether capitalism or socialism, whether despotism or democracy is most likely to make them so. I think it's important to have that quote in the back of our mind and to understand that that he goes on to describe some of the the pulls to the left that are present in his day and age. You know, people saying to rediscover the historical Jesus is to become a leftist or um, you know, to be faithful to the message of Christ is to go far right. And so he goes through that. And, and, and again, I don't think that we're here to make those, those calls. You're going to hear us really explicitly say that there needs to be mutual understanding um, of one another when you disagree. It's going to come down to that quite a bit. But I think, I think it does matter, I, or I think it is an important thing that we talk about, is that um, what is the result of the benefit of crossing our Christianity with our politics. What's the risk and what's the reward, Jordan, from your perspective and from Lewis's? Well, that's a, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really uh, good question. I think that does cue up exactly what Lewis wants to communicate through this essay because he, in the probably last couple minutes of it, he just, it's like a machine gun of points that he makes is how it felt to me that we're all really good. And I think the reason I really wanted to do this, is I just think people in North America in 2022 need to hear and reflect on these things. I guess his, his argument is he, he quickly kind of says, if you think that your, your version of um, politics is going to ach- achieve the ends best and is maybe the most Christian way of getting there, um, that's fine. But, you're going to be a minority huh. in your country. And so your, your only option really to be an influence is to join the, the political party that already exists that isn't fully Christian, but is closest to the way that you think is um, best given your Christian beliefs, which is already, I think, a, something that we need to reflect on to just remember that there are very few political parties that exist that claim that are that aim to be fully Christian 
And so either you join a, a larger party, like in Canada, we've got a couple of parties. If there's Americans listening, we've got more than just uh, Democrats and Republicans, but we've got a couple. But none of them are exclusively Christian parties. No. There is one or two, I think, really small and de- more independent parties in Canada that are based on Christian values. Like I think there's one with the name Christian in it. But Lewis's point is illustrated in what we have in Canada, which is if you have a political party that is saying we're going to be Christian, the Christian party, it's such a small party that it has almost no real imprint or influence on the Canadian political landscape. Mm -hmm. Your other option then is to become a part or like a supporter or or voter um, of a larger party that isn't specifically Christian. And the first danger there is that you won't, he says, you have to be aware that you're not going to be able to influence the non-Christian part of that party. Mm -hmm. Because again, there's just so few of us. Um, So that's just a practical, um, maybe aside. But then he says things like, um, to remember that the thing that divides that party from other Christians, the thing that that divides you, the political principle that divides you, say, as a conservative, from your brothers and sisters in Christ and unites you to the conservative party, again, for example, that principle is not a theological thing. Mm-hmm. The thing whatever it is, is it's a political, again, it's your opinion of the best political means of achieving the end for our nation. Right. Right. It may be based on your beliefs of Christianity, but remember that that thing is, I guess don't let it divide you from your brothers and sisters and unite you to the party. If it's, well, it's not theological. No. And and which is not to say that your motivations for being a part of that party or holding to a particular uh, political viewpoint are not theologically driven. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But like, and, and I, I know that's not what you're saying, but I think it's just, it's, it's important to clarify that. But to understand that, that, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of me saying I am not uh, what Roman Catholic, because I don't believe in the papacy. That's a theological distinction yeah. that doesn't have direct political implications for me in 21st century Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not a matter over baptismal formula. It's not a matter over, over opinions of, of how the Holy Spirit operates in the life of a believer or, or how we approach the canon of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, none of those things. What it is, is saying, this is how our country should be run. Yeah. These are the laws that I want in place. And, and those, those, again, can have theological, you can have theological motivations for, for holding those opinions, but I think it's the confusing mm. of those things, which is the, the biggest evil that, that Lewis is really drawing our attention to, exactly mm-hmm. like what you said. Again, so if we are being divided from other Christians by political um, issues, as opposed to theological ones, biblical ones, then that's a problem. And I would say all division, all division in the body 
we should be skeptical of to start yeah. with. It may be necessary, but it's never preferable. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it doesn't mean you can't disagree. He's That's saying, right. of course, you can you can disagree. In fact, he's saying, like, yes, you can disagree. And there is going to be disagreements within the body of Christ about which political means is best. You know, in this essay, he kind of draws out three of them, which we're not going to get into because Sean and I decided we don't know enough about politics to make a comment on them. But, Especially not politics in, in the 1940s in, in the UK. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so he, his point is, of course, you can disagree within Christianity about politics, but you can't let the disagreement divide you because the disagreement about politics is not more important than your agreement Right. Your theological agreement about Jesus. There's another thing that you said that I want to circle back to because you said, you know, I don't know if this is really kind of a main point. This might be a bit of an aside. This might be a sub point, etc. But I actually think for a lot of for a lot of the people that I'm in conversation with right now in this particular historical moment, this really could be the most important takeaway of the, uh, of the issue is that, is that we should not be divided by these things, uh, by these political things. And, and the reason that I say that I'm going to actually extend it from beyond politics also to news sources. I have had, and, and the idea that there would be a quote Christian party or the idea that there would be a, quote, Christian news source, for that matter. Um, both of which, at least because, you know, I'm, I'm from a rural prairie community, which is going to be the same north or south of the border and um, of the U.S.-Canada border, you know, in, in the sense that if you're in, in the U.S., you're probably, you probably think, well, that's, or you, you might think, I should say, you might think, no, it's not true. Um, the Republican Party, as a conservative party, is the one, this is Christ's party. I know that there are people who, who say and believe that and would be offended that I would suggest, or anyone would suggest otherwise. And I would also say that north of the border then, yeah, at least in where I live, and I know it's different for my, for my Christian friends, especially in, in Atlantic Canada, but here on, on the prairies, for me to say, if I were to say, I don't vote conservative, that would concern most Christians that I know. Yep. Uh, Interestingly, and likewise, you know, I could talk about, again, using American news sources as an example, I could say like, oh, I, I believe that Fox News is the Christian news station. <laughs> uh, you know, Lord have mercy when we start to believe those things uh, because they're just fundamentally not. And, and we might get to this again a little later. I've said that about 14 times already. Uh, but I want to quote something that I think is really important here as we discuss political parties and, and news sources and whatnot, just to say that there is not a Christian news station. There are Christian commentators on the news. There is not a Christian political body. Yeah. There are Christians in politics. Um, you know, those, those things are true. But And can I just add to that? Please do. While you're, while you're saying it anyway, uh, there are Christians on the news and there are Christians in politics. In my experience, those Christians are not very well educated in their Christianity. Right. Yes. And when they speak, 
and attempt to say something on behalf of Christians, I often go, I don't think that A is either very well said or B, which is worse, a very fair representation of what Christian scholars or biblical scholars or theologians or even just educated pastors would say or how they would put it. And that's what alarms me the most is that people are going, I watch the Christian news um, service, what do you call it, service channel, whatever. And I'm like, well, those people on that channel might be Christians. I don't know that they're very, I don't know that they have authority to speak on behalf of Christians. Well, let me riff on that just for a second then is to say that political authority does not equate spiritual or theological authority. Right. So when somebody's in a role of authority, we automatically think, oh, they're informed. Well, somebody might be informed politically or socially or economically. And and so therefore, you know, they're in they're in politics. But you're right, it could be that this person has snoozed through every sermon that they've ever heard and never read their Bible, but they identify as a Christian. But not only that, this is the one that gets me the most, is that political people are savvy and they understand mm-hmm. what needs to be said in order to gain leverage. That's what politics really, really is, gaining leverage. Yeah. Um, so that the the means that you believe in to accomplish the ends that you believe in uh, can be procured. And then you have power and authority to make those things happen. So I would say this, that there's also a huge group of people out there who are politicians who are completely comfortable with overemphasizing their commitment to Christ and their membership in the body of Christ or flat out lying about it. Mm Mm-hmm but using things that they know will will please Christians so that Christians will assume that they have that this particular individual has spiritual authority and therefore is making the quote Christian decision in politics. Yeah. And we just absolutely need to flee that. That's no good. So I think it's important that that we recall that that the enemy loves to divide the church. And that Politics are a major way of dividing Christians. If he can't convince us that we should divide over the color, you know, uh, this is the classic example, you know, divide a church over the color of the carpet or how loud the drums are or, or who's volunteering in Sunday school that week. Um, he's been pretty effective these days at dividing Christians mm-hmm. over political issues. Yeah, Lewis calls it, I think he uses the term devil's strategy in here, referring to how politics end up being used as a tool of the enemy to divide Christians from each other. Wow. Um, Which, so he says this referring to like the smaller Christian parties, or, you know, we can think about the, the Christians on the news or, or anyone in politics, right. Claiming to be a Christian. I'm not, I'm not, doubting or making a judgment on whether they're a Christian or not, but whether they are speaking on behalf of all Christians or or giving a well-informed Christian opinion. Lewis isn't disagreeing that these people are a part of Christendom. He has a problem that they are a part claiming to be the whole, is how he puts it. Yes. Yeah. Like you said, I think, um, what does that say about Christians then who disagree? with those people 
and and how can Christians disagree with each other politically? And Sean, something else that you said was about how people would be skeptical about if you said you didn't vote conservative, um, that they would be skeptical about your Christian convictions. Lewis, here's another quote from, from this essay. He says, by the mere act of calling itself a Christian party, they will, uh, the Christian party that is, uh, it implicitly accuses all Christians who do not join it of apostasy and betrayal. And I guess that's the th- that's the thing you're talking about. That's how it ends up dividing Christians from one another is yes. over a political opinion and belief and maybe really well theologically informed one, but not a matter that is central to the gospel theologically, where if you didn't believe it or you believed the opposite, it would be heresy. But can I just add a caveat? Because we've been talking about differences in the means of political parties as though all the differences in the platforms might legitimately be within the bounds of Christian morals. However, what I think we've, we've had in mind, at least in this discussion, and what I think Lewis has in mind in this essay is primarily like big picture political philosophy. Um, and, and then things like, you know, economic, social policies. Uh, you, you want to talk about like big government, little government, or ideas about like free market or like gun laws, international relations, climate change. You could talk about um, COVID restrictions. I think all those things we could say are formed by our theological convictions for sure, but that there's no clear unified Christian response on what these policies or general political philosophies even should be. That's where we as Christians are certainly free to disagree, according to Lewis, and, and, and that we can't claim one of these things to be the Christian, the Christian political philosophy. That is not to say that we, or even Lewis, don't believe that there's moral issues that Christians should not be advocating for as legitimate means or paths to getting to the end of a secure and free and happy country. So while I think it's one thing to put put the Lord's name on a moral judgment and say, make an argument that, the, that God is against abortion, for example, you can make that argument and put God's name on your claim that God is against abortion, but that's different from putting God's name on the political party that is also against abortion. That's saying too much because then you're putting God's stamp of approval on everything that that Christian party not only says and stands for now, but will do and say and stand for in the future. And that's one of Lewis's main concerns here in this essay. Okay, so I think we would be remiss at the end of this whole conversation if if we just looked at each other and said, yep, uh, faith and politics don't mix, so we got to throw up our hands. Um, there are some people that hold that that conviction that you can't, you cannot, Christians cannot be involved in the political sphere. That's not what Lewis is saying, 
And that's not, I think, what either one of us want to say. I certainly don't. No, I don't either. So then, Jordan, I guess I would ask, how then do we approach our our faith in politics? How do we have a holistic um, faith where we say we follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives, including our social and political ones, um, without falling victim to all of what we just described? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I wish I would have <laughs> thought about it before. Oh, I'm so sorry. Is that going to be okay? No, no, it's good. Um, here's some, it just requires me to have to go outside of Lewis a little bit and use my own brain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say this, first of all, when forming your political opinions, they should be based off your Christian beliefs or, or coherent with them at very least. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great way to say that. But, um, first of all, get your Christian beliefs shaped by Christian authorities, not by political authorities, not by the news media, not by Christian celebrities. Yes. And then base and then develop your political beliefs and opinions based on your really solidly informed um, Christian faith, but make sure your Christian faith is solidly formed. Read some theologians, read some Bible scholars, ask your pastor tough questions, find people who are really well educated in this read back centuries. How did Christians throughout time believe and, and have a deep, well-reasoned, well-thought-through faith on which to base your political opinions on. I think maybe a pet peeve of mine is I hear people, Christians, spouting these political opinions, and their their knowledge of politics goes way beyond mine. Yes. But they are, but they're, they're not even arguing that their political opinion is based on Christian, their Christian belief. They're assuming it. Yes. And their political opinion is way more intricate and well-reasoned than their Christian understanding is well-reasoned and understood by them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would say that, um, you know, we've danced around this, we've kind of said it, but another very practical takeaway from me is going to be, how do I respond when I encounter a Christian that I disagree with? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the question that I just asked you is a little bit off the topic of this essay. Like I was just wondering how you're responding to it. Um, but, but Lewis doesn't say, because this essay is, so, is, is more about um, Christians in politics, you know, Christians interaction with politics mm-hmm. and, and and how we can be divided. So, so I think really practically was just to say, okay, I think we should all stop assuming that the most Christian party that we believe in our country and our province or our state, um, you know, the, the one that seems the most Christian is the Christian one. We should just, can we just put that down? Yeah. That would be a great practical step is to say every time that I vote, I may vote for the same party for 60 years. Mm-hmm. But every time that I vote, I'm going to do it prayerfully and with the, with the knowledge that, uh, or sorry, with the approach that you just suggested, which is to be theologically formed first. And so it might be that there are times when the, the party that I disagree with 
that the Holy Spirit is actually taking me in that direction, and the conviction of Scripture is taking me in that direction. And I cannot assume that my political party that I currently hold to is, quote, Christian. Yeah, I think that's a very good point as well. I think maybe that would be my, yeah, that would be the second thing I would add. It's just my voice to that saying, maybe you can, maybe you could say that the political party you're voting for is based on your Christian belief, to your knowledge, the mo- the one that is most in line with your Christian belief. Right. But please do not say that everything about that Christ- that political party is Christian or God approved. Yeah. And maybe even God approved. I love that language, Jordan. I think that God approved is is more in line with what Lewis is saying in this essay. Mm. Because it is it is the God approved part that that he's saying you will be you will be um transgressing the third commandment. Oh yeah. If you just say everything that this party does is God approved. Yeah. You will be transgressing that commandment for sure. If you if you just throw that on. Um and, and I would also just say then Christians should be involved in politics, society, culture, community, whatever else. Yeah. Lewis ends this quite charmingly by saying, you know, you should pester your MP. Mm-hmm. Um or, or your, I don't know what the equivalent would be in the states. You know, your sen- your state senator, your governor, or whatever. That, that congressman, congresswoman. Yeah, I, I suppose. I, oh, congressperson. I don't. Yeah. Yep. Um, you, you should be sending in letters saying, "Hey, I care about this, uh, this topic, and and I think that this is the right direction for our our state, our province, our country to go." That's a good thing to do. Be involved that way. Um, and yeah, he, he uses the word pestering. I think we should pester. What else does, does Lewis say? On the pestering note, I had the thought go through my head about the truckers in Canada. I'm curious how many of them spoke to their MP before they drove across the country and camped out for a month. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe the point is the MP isn't going to listen nobody's listening. Let's do something louder than speaking to a member of parliament where maybe they'd argue that's the way we speak. I, I don't know. I, in a, I mean, we're saying we believe in a democracy where you write to your member of parliament and they represent you. I don't, my hunch is very few of those truckers or people who supported the truckers had any communication with their MP. I could be wrong. I love that you're bringing this up and that you are doing it. I can, in the tone of your voice, I can hear the trepidation. <laughs> and this is exactly what came up at this conference that I was just at last week. This was one uh-huh. of the topics. Because um, I, I know that um, in in probably half a dozen local churches that I'm aware of, again, because of my position at the Bible College here, what, I'm in these conversations with pastors and elders, board members, et cetera, from time to time, especially in Pentecostal circles, where they said, you know what, we had we had people leave our church because we either did or didn't support this this truckers convoy. And just for those of you who might not have context mm. for that, it was it was a convoy of several thousand people from the western side of our, our country to the capital, um, and and major protests in cities all over, um, and and shutting down infrastructure and that kind of thing, protesting uh, COVID restrictions in 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 provinces, countries, yeah. and and industries. And so I, uh, with that background. I heard this and this is, that's, I, I shouldn't even say it because it's, I'm not sure. I know some of the people who joined that convoy and they went out of well-formed 
biblical, theological, spiritual conviction. Mm-hmm. Okay? I absolutely do. And, and there's some of my favorite people in our local church. So I, I've seen that. I also know two, I'm thinking of two people in, in particular who joined, who refused to vote in the last election even. Yeah. Because they said, well, um, Trudeau is just going to win anyway. They wanted to vote out Trudeau. So they, they abstained from voting, but they joined the protest. Mm. And so I would say you're probably right. I mean, who knows how many letters went out? I know that the leaders of the convoy did um, circulate um, petitions mm-hmm. and, and that mm-hmm. many thousand signatures were, were, were um, submitted in petition. But I, I know that, let's just say this, if you, if you or somebody you know were a part of the trucker convoy and didn't vote and didn't sign a petition and didn't send in a letter to your MP, then you you went about uh, the political change. You 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 short circuited the political change that you wanted to see. It, you did the less powerful thing. Hmm. Protest typically doesn't change things unless it is massive, massive protest. And this was a large protest, but protest often is just seen as rabble rousing, and what it often ends up doing is is polarizing people in their opinions because now somebody like yeah. me who's like yeah i really i wish that those restrictions would end yeah goes oh man if i don't like the way that this protest was done then i'm not going to support it and that's not necessarily the case um in in my yeah. heart honestly but i'm just using myself as an example there so i i think i think yeah absolutely we we should be Using the democratic means that are in front of us to affect change, according to our biblical conviction, we need to do that. Um, and protesting, I would say, is only after you have tried to um, tried to function within the letter writing and the the um, after you've explored all the channels that are available to you within the normal uh, processes of democracy. Could we say that? Yeah, that's right. I think that is extremely well said. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know if I, I feel like I, I have the need to redeem myself a little <laughs> bit in some people's eyes. I just go, just, I want to say what they were protesting. I, for the most part, I also felt like I, I agreed with what they were protesting, but very quickly went, I don't agree with the way they're protesting. And so then I feel conflicted on how do I now voice my own concern about these particular restrictions, but not these ones. And I can't add my voice to it because there's so much else um, being said in that protest. Well, let me add in, add in something that's very, very personal and say that um, not the, not the trucker convoy, the protest itself so much as the Christian response to it actually filled me with so much despair that I thought I shouldn't be in full-time ministry anymore because I can't lead Christians spiritually. Hmm. That was how serious it was for mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and I, I hope that's not inappropriate for me to share that publicly. I've, I've moved through that. And what I did is I, I consulted a bunch of kind of leaders, mentors, um, spiritual fathers and mothers in my life and just, and, and talked it through and, and they talked me down from the ledge. And, but why ties right back in with meditations on the third commandment, which is that people started to say that the convoy was the move of God that they had been praying for for years. Yeah, sure. That a protest was the revival that we want. And I categorically disagree with that. 
and would stake my job and my ministry and my credibility on that and say that God absolutely can work in the midst of a protest, this one in particular and anyone in general. Mm -hmm. But the revival that we're praying for is not just a political swing. The revival that we're praying for is not just a social movement. Ironically, the conservative people that would believe that, it was conservative people that I'm thinking of, would strongly condemn the early 20th century, late 19th century movement toward liberal theology. And the irony of that is that liberal theology is the one that says social change is the true gospel and that ignores personal heart change. Mm -hmm. And that kind of internal transformation, conformity to the image of God, um, spiritual and physical healing, fullness of the spirit, the, the love that's born in us, the fruit of the spirit, all those kinds of things that we imagine with being conformed to the image of God. And, and, and not only that, but personal repentance and the forgiveness of sins is undividable, unalienatable from the move of God that we're praying for. So if you have a political movement that doesn't include that, well, guess what? You're a neoliberal. And you have cut yourself off from the gospel of personal salvation. And so I, I just say that was what really upset me about it and where I, and where I, I felt, I think, intuitively what C.S. Lewis, I felt it in my heart, what he was saying with his mind and with his head, which was that we are blaspheming the name of God if we put his name on something that is, um, is not necessarily his handiwork. Yeah, I had a lot of similar thoughts. And uh, yeah, the revival we're praying for, if if that's what it looks like, I think we forgot what Christian revival is. Yes. Because it's about hearts changing and not laws changing. Um, the, the only one more thing I'll add to what you were just saying about... Um, the, again, it put a second thing more important than the first most important thing, which is personal uh-huh. salvation and sanctification or transformation. Uh-huh. I, I guess this is, again, a, a really good example of what happens when your Christian theology gets confused with your political theology, is that so many Christians were calling out for freedom. I mean, that was kind of the tagline of the trucker convoy was freedom. But what they were asking for was, I mean, what would you call the restrictions being lifted? Political freedom? Yeah, or social freedom, maybe. Social freedom. And this idea of freedom is is a Christian idea. But Christian freedom is freedom from something. It's freedom from sin. It's not freedom from restrictions. Right. It's not political freedom. That's not Christian freedom. Like, don't confuse the two ideas. Christian freedom is also freedom to something. If you read Galatians 5 and 6, it's freedom to love. Uh Freedom to worship God, not... Oh my gosh, what are we doing, Sean? (laughs) Not freedom to worship God as defined by 20th and 21st century song singing in a large auditorium (laughs) without masks on freedom 
to worship God. What does God want? First and foremost in worship is obedience, submission to him, us giving our hearts to him to be changed and transformed and shaped in the character of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's worship. Yeah. That's what we're freed to. And that's a definition of Christian freedom that we we didn't lose during the lockdowns. Yeah. We had access to that. In fact, we probably, because we were locked down, had more resources, meaning like time and energy, to give ourselves in worship to God and lay our hearts bare to him. That's right. I don't think the restrictions hampered our Christian freedom. I think they actually gave us a lot of opportunity for our Christian freedom. It's also Christian freedom. The other definition is not just to love God, but to love one another. Right. Also, COVID gave us a lot of opportunity for Christian freedom. And I don't think as Christians, we took advantage of that. I think in a lot of cases, we did the opposite. Yeah. Now, if you want to make the argument that your political freedoms are valuable, yes, of course they are, that your social freedoms are valuable and that those were worth protesting, that's great. I really do think that that there's some validity there. But what I worry about is confusing your understanding of Christian freedom from Scripture the spiritual freedom that is yours in Christ, your freedom from sin and your freedom to love one another and your freedom, your ability that God has given you to love one another when you couldn't before. And the, the ability that God has given you, he's freed you up to worship him and to give him your heart. Don't confuse that freedom with political freedom and social freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And because we started to get concerned about... Um how it was, you know, ourselves so much, which, um, which we're in just in the next couple of episodes, um, we're going to sit down and record some of C.S. Lewis's thoughts on, on how we love ourselves and love others. And, and I think that that's going to be a really important one. If you're listening to this episode Mm. to, uh, to consider in light of, um, our politics and our responses to recent world events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess that maybe brings us to the concluding thought from Lewis in this essay. Um, I just love how he does this. It's like a twist ending, I think, because it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a twist followed by a mic drop. Yeah, that's what it is. He says, basically, because, I mean, way back, I don't know, half an hour ago, Sean, you asked, (laughs) you know, how should Christians mix their faith and politics? Uh, What can we do to influence our society and culture, our communities to influence politics. And the one good answer that Lewis suggests, like we said, was pestering, you know, writing to our MPs, um, making our voices heard that way, voting. But then he says this, how, so yeah, how Christians can influence politics by becoming a majority He who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. Mic drop. (laughs) Like you want a Christian nation? Quit, quit, not quit lobbying for laws. Do that. Yeah. Keep lobbying. Yeah. Lobby for laws. Pestering. Um, 
for pester in a Christian way though. <laughs> but most of all, go convert your neighbor. Because if there are a majority of well-discipled Christian people whose hearts are being transformed, if there's a revival of that, right? Like what we're saying is a true Christian revival, then our nation will become a Christian nation or there will be um, a much stronger Christian influence in politics and our politics of our nation will naturally be influenced in the way Christ would have it done. Yeah. Amen to that. And I, and I think that's just a perfect place to end is, is that, and I'll echo you because, and I'll echo you echoing Lewis, he who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. So my political Christian friends go out and convert your neighbor and the very thing that you are hoping, praying, and working for will come to pass. Amen. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on this text. If you want to join us in making these works of C.S. Lewis more well-known, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a comment and a rating to help get the word out to other listeners. If you have your own thoughts or questions from this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a message at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Is it depotism? Silent S? No, depotism. Whether despotism? Whether depot? Nope. Okay, she Google's pronouncing the S. <laughs> I think leave this part in. (laughs) 